Good morning and welcome to Cross Connection Church Online for this Sunday morning. I am Pastor Miles, glad to be back with you today. But before we step into our study, we're currently in a series called The Disciplines of a Disciple. Before we get back into that, I want to take just a moment and to share my gratitude to the Lord for the ministry team that we have here at Cross Connection Church, really the, the ministry team that God has blessed us with here. I, I really am blessed and privileged to serve this church as the lead pastor, and I am genuinely grateful for the team that I have here serving with me. We have a great group of staff, and not just a great group of paid staff, but also a great group of volunteer leaders that have made Cross Connection Church to be what I think is the best church that you will find. I don't think that I'm biased at all in saying that. Sadly, over the last couple of years, we have watched a lot of people move out of San Diego County, move out of the state of California, and to try, as they say, to find greener grass, or maybe I should say redder grass in other states and other places. And I honestly can't count how many times people have called me or texted or emailed me in the last couple of years to tell me some variation of the same basic story. And the, the same basic story is, you know, hey, we moved to this state, we moved to this place, but we're never going to find a church that was like Cross Connection Church. We're never going to find a church as good as Cross Connection Church. And people will say things like, you have the best team of leaders and servants there at CC Church, and we've just not been able to find anything like it in the place that we moved to. And, you know, there are so many things that people like about the different places that they go to, but it is hard to find a, a church that you can really be a part of, and there's nothing like Cross Connection Church. And when people say that, I can't help but agree with them and tell them that um, you're probably never going to find a church like CC Church. It's, um, it really is a unique thing that God has been doing here. And I am really reminded of how great this team and this body of believers is every time I take a, a time off. You know, my family and I, we took a little couple week vacation. And as we were away, I, I just find that this team and this church are a real blessing. I have a lot of friends who are pastors, who pastor churches in other places, and quite a few of them, they just can't take a real break for a vacation. And when they do, they find themselves the entire time that they're gone kind of, you know, wondering how things are going and even putting out fires from a distance through email or phone calls and trying to take care of things back at the church that they pastor while they're away. And they just can't seem to get a break from the things that are going on because they just don't have the team like we do here. So I am truly blessed that when I go away, as I did with my family over the last week and a half, I don't have to worry about the things that are going on here at the church. So I wanted to begin today by giving a bit of a, a shout out, if you will, to our ministry team, especially because this month, you may or may not know that, this month, October, is Pastors Appreciation Month. And so I am absolutely grateful for 
our ministry team, our leaders here at the church, staff, volunteers, but especially for our pastoral team, for Pastor Mark, our executive pastor, for Pastor Jason, our family ministries pastor, for Pastor Nick, who's an associate pastor here at the church. He's the one who handles all of this media, making sure that it works every single week. Pastor Garrett, Pastor Anthony, uh, just our pastoral team are such a blessing to me personally, but also to our whole church. So I just wanted to say how grateful I am to the Lord for our ministry team. And if Cross Connection Church is your home church, I would just encourage you, uh, I'm not saying this for myself, I'm saying this for the rest of our ministry team, because a lot of times people will send me emails, they'll send me cards, they'll send me text messages thanking me. Um, but you know, we have a great team of pastors here at the church. And so um, I praise the Lord constantly for the group that God has given to us. So I had to put that out at the beginning of this message this week. We are currently, in a series that I have called The Disciplines of a Disciple. And we now, at this point, are about halfway through that series, even though we took a couple weeks off as Pastor Garrett and Pastor Anthony taught for me while I was gone. But we're in the middle of this series called The Disciplines of a Disciple. And in the first three messages before I took a couple weeks off, we were talking about, uh, in large part, talking about salvation. We have seen that in and by Christ Jesus, we who have trusted in Christ have been redeemed and we have been forgiven and accepted and adopted by God into his family. If you read the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, really just the first 14 or so verses, you're gonna see all of those things driven home by the apostle Paul in that passage. If you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, then he has redeemed you and forgiven you. He has made you accepted and he has adopted you into his family. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I have new life in Christ Jesus and we are justified. This is what we looked at when we we're talking about salvation several weeks ago. We've been justified, which means that you are saved from the penalty and the punishment of any sins that you have committed or will commit in the future. Jesus, by his death, burial, and resurrection, he has justified you. He bore our sin on the cross and he absorbed the punishment for our sin there on the cross in his body. And because we have received Jesus's righteousness through justification, you know, the Bible says that when you are saved, when you are justified, it's as if Jesus takes that robe of his righteousness and puts it on you, you're clothed in his righteousness. So because we have received Jesus's righteousness through justification, we have hope and we have assurance of being glorified with him when we are ultimately saved from the presence of sin in eternity. That's called glorification. So we have justification. He's dealt with our sins by dealing with the punishment for our sins. And we have the promise of glorification, being with him for eternity in his presence. We will be glorified and removed from the presence of sin in eternity. When we shed this body, when this body dies, we will be with the Lord. But in that gap between having been saved, justified, in the past and being glorified in the future, in that gap in between these two things, we are now, as Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, we are in the process of being what the Bible calls sanctified. Sanctification is the process by which God, by his Holy Spirit, is transforming you and transforming me more and more into the likeness of his, his children, his kids. We've been adopted into his family, but he wants us to begin to take on his nature, that we begin to show to this world 
what it is to be the children of God. God wants you and he wants me to be like him. And he's working in you and he's working in me to desire and to do those things that are pleasing to him. He wants us to work out our salvation so that what he has worked into us by the work of Jesus Christ will begin to be seen in us or manifested from us. So, so these verses, they, these words come right out of my favorite passage of scripture in the whole Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that God is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. But the, the words just before that in verse 12 say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So God worked salvation into us because what Jesus did on the cross he has given you that salvation as you have trusted in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And now God, in this sanctification process, he wants us to work out that saving work so that people begin to see his nature being worked out in us. Now, in this working out of our salvation, in this process of sanctification, which is this gap between being justified, you have been saved, and being glorified, you will be saved, in this gap, this sanctification process, God is working by his Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives in my last message of this series a few weeks ago. And then Pastor Anthony followed up again last week. If you uh, joined with us in our message last week, Pastor Anthony, our worship pastor, he talked a little bit more about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our helper in this sanctification period, in this gap between being justified and being glorified, as we are being sanctified, the Holy Spirit is the believer's helper in sanctification, in, in what I would call the sanctification workout routine. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So in this sanctification workout routine, the Holy Spirit is our helper. How does he help? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, one of the things that he does is that he bids and encourages us to follow him and to walk in the spirit. Um, there's a number of places in the scripture where we see this. Jesus said in the gospel of John chapter 14 and chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And that word helper, it talks about him bidding or encouraging, calling us to walk with him. And then in Galatians chapter five, verse 16, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. So the Holy Spirit is in you if you're a Christian and he's calling you to walk in the spirit as he will equip you. He equips us and enables us with power to do what we in and of ourselves by our flesh could not do on our own. If, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've tried to walk in rightness or righteousness by your own strength, you, you can't do it. The good things you want to do, you don't do. The bad things you don't want to do, that's what you practice. Just like Paul says in Romans chapter 7. That, that is a major problem that I think every Christian experiences. But the Holy Spirit, who is calling us to walk in righteousness, he enables us and he empowers us to do what we can't do in and of our own selves. But here's the thing. God is working in us. He's working in us by his Holy Spirit and he wants us to work with him in this sanctification process by working out the things of salvation. And the working out of these things, this transformation process, the sanctification process, it, it only becomes a reality as we walk in the spirit, but 
as we also engage with a number of tools that God gives us to be able to get this sanctification work done. We, we not only need the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us in this gap between justification and, or, and glorification, in this sanctification process, we, we not only need the work or the help of the Holy Spirit, but we also need the tools that God equips us with to be able to do this work of sanctification. Work out your own salvation. How do we do that? So what I want to do over the next few weeks, today and the, the two weeks at least following after this, is I want to talk about the tools that God has given to us, to Christians, to believers, that are to be used so that we can work out our salvation with the Holy Spirit's help so that we can see sanctification and transformation become realities in our lives. You see, when you become a Christian, when you're justified and you have that hope of glorification, that hope of glorification makes you to want to walk in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. But when you try to do that in your own strength, by your own flesh, we, we fall flat, we fail. And so we need the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help in this sanctification and transformation process. And we need the tools that God gives us to equip us to be able to be sanctified. So in justification, you have been given Christ's righteousness. It has been imputed or transferred to your account. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this very thing in the very first follower of God by faith in Abraham, who is spoken of in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in, in Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about how Abraham believed God and it was accounted to his account as righteousness. So when Abraham believed God, God gave righteousness that Abraham didn't have onto Abraham's debt account. He had a debt of righteousness and God accounts to him righteousness. That's what Jesus does when we trust in him. And God, when you trust in Jesus, just like Abraham did thousands of years ago, God sees you as though you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came, 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61, this is exactly what he foretold, this is what he looked forward to, was the coming of a righteousness that was not his own. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. There we read this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he, God, has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. God is the one who covers us with the robe of righteousness. So. Jesus' righteousness is given to us. Isaiah was looking forward to that. He knew that through the law, we cannot be made righteous, but we need someone to give us righteousness that is not our own. And that's exactly what Jesus does when we trust in him. So we all recognize that as Christians, we have a righteousness that is not our own. Before God, we are, you might say, positionally righteous. We are in the position of being righteous because God has justified us. So we are positionally righteous before God. However, if you're a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus, you are righteous, the scriptures say, because God has declared you righteous in justification. So you're positionally righteous, but you probably have realized that you're not practically righteous, though we, we want to be. We want to do the things that are good and pleasing to God. That's one of the first indications that you are a Christian, that you have new desires that you didn't have before, a desire to be good before God, honoring to God. So we want to be holy. We want to be acceptable to God and to show in our conduct daily 
the good and acceptable and pleasing things of God in the way that we live, in our practice. And for that, we need to develop some disciplines, as I'm calling this, the disciplines of a disciple. So when you become a follower of Jesus, you want to become an obedient follower of Jesus, a disciple. And so for that to happen, we have to develop some disciplines with the help of the Holy Spirit. So as a preface to this message today, and maybe the messages that are going to come the next couple of weeks after this, this message is going to be theological. So we're going to turn to the scriptures. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about some of these tools that God gives us to enable us to be disciplined disciples. But this message is also going to be practical. So theological and practice. I want to move from just theology, what the Bible says, to how we live that out. Because the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What I've done in the previous messages is to show you that you are justified, you will be glorified. We're in this stage of sanctification. I've shown you that from the scriptures. But how do we make that a reality? So I want to lay a, a biblical foundation, a biblical ground, if you will, for what this work of sanctification is and what these tools are that God gives to us and how we can use these things. And then I want to move into the practice, how we make this a reality, how this becomes a part of our lives so that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I want to begin talking about this first tool that God has given to us. We're going to look at three tools over the next three weeks. The first one today. So I want to talk about this, this first tool that God has given to you to make it possible that you can begin to walk in, in righteousness before God, to be transformed. And to do so, we have to begin with a couple of very important passages of Scripture. So kind of VIPs, if you will. Very important passages of Scripture, which if you've been a part of Cross Connection Church for a while, you probably have come in contact with some of these verses. The first one is found in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bible or you have a device, just go to Romans chapter 12 and, and look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says to the Christians at Rome this, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, if you are a Christian, look in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Paul's speaking to Christians. That's why he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters. They're family. So if you are a Christian, then here's a really important key and point. You are called to be transformed in mind and body. We see that right here in this passage. Paul says, I beg you, I'm calling you, brothers and sisters, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So you, as a Christian, if you are a Christian today, you are called to be transformed in mind and body. That is discipleship and sanctification in a nutshell. You are called to be transformed both mind and body. There needs to be, and the word transformed there, it is a, a Greek word which, if you took it directly into the English, we have an English word that comes from this Greek root word here, metamorphosis. There needs to be a metamorphosis from what you were in your flesh and your old nature before you were a Christian to what you are called to be, what you ought to be. And that whole metamorphosis, that is sanctification. That is this process, this middle stage between being justified and being glorified. So there needs to be a metamorphosis from what you were 
before you're a Christian to what God wants you to be as a Christian. This metamorphosis, it is by God's mercy and grace. Notice what Paul says there. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So this is according to God's mercy and grace. And it's by the enabling power of his Holy Spirit, as we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit. But it also involves something more. It involves an intentional transformation in your thoughts, in your emotions, and your behavior at the soul and the body level. You see, when God saved you by his grace, when you were justified, he put a new spirit within you, or he revived your dead spirit to, his, to be connected to him. And, and we, I believe, are three-part beings. We have body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. And so God has given you a revived or quickened spirit at justification. But he wants to transform your soul and your body. He wants to bring sanctification, transformation in you. This world that we live in, live in I'm sure you notice, it is constantly pressing us into a certain mold. We are always being tossed about by all kinds of ideas and ideologies until we take on the form of this world. So this world is pushing us according to a certain current or it's forcing us into a certain mold. We're being tossed to and fro by all the different ideas and ideologies until we are conformed to this world. But Paul says in this passage, do not be conformed. Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed. So how does that happen? How does this sanctification process happen after we have been justified, knowing that we will be glorified as we are in this transformation, sanctification process, how does this actually take place? Well, notice what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It begins, it starts, I believe, here in our mind. It, it begins with a change of our perspective. It begins in the way, a change in the way that we process this world and our place in this world. It begins in our mind, but then it needs to move from your mind to your behavior until we begin to see the work of the sanctification in our lives, in our whole spirit, soul, and body. And so that's the first important verse. Remember, VIP, very important passage of scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you begin to show in your practice, in your life, what is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. That brings us to our second really important passage of Scripture in Paul's letter to Timothy. And, and this gives us a little bit more insight into this first tool. Remember this week, next week, the following week, we're talking about three tools that God has given to you as a Christian to see the sanctification process happen in your life. The first tool is found in this second passage of scripture. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we read this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we are in this stage as Christians of sanctification. We've been justified. We have the promise that we will be glorified to be with the Lord for eternity. We're here in this middle space being transformed, being sanctified. We have the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who equips us in this work and he calls us to walk in the spirit so we not fulfill the desires of our flesh. But we need, we need some equipping, we need some tools. And the first tool that we need in the sanctification transformation process is this. You might wanna write this down if you're taking notes. The word of God is an essential tool in our sanctification. Again, 
So important. The Word of God is an essential tool in our sanctification. Jesus prayed for his followers, his disciples, in what is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. In John chapter 17, this was the night before Jesus would be crucified, just hours before he would be betrayed or turned against by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. He prays for his disciples in John 17, 17. He says this, this is really important. Sanctify, this is Jesus's prayer for you to the Father. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we're in this sanctification process. How does God sanctify you? How does he sanctify me? By the truth of his word, just as Jesus prayed. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How does God do that? Well, here in this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, all scripture, the whole of the Bible, all scripture, Genesis to Revelation, all of it, all scripture is useful. And he says it's useful for four things. Note these really important four things that we see here in this passage. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it is profitable or useful, first thing, for doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is what, how we know what is right, good, true, wholesome, and beautiful. Doctrine lays out from us, from the scriptures, what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, what is right before a holy God. So the Bible tells you what God's standard is. It teaches you what God's desire, will, standard, plan is. That's doctrine. So the Bible is useful for doctrine. Secondly, it is useful for reproof. What is reproof? Well, the Bible tells us what is right, good, true, wholesome, all of that. But when it does, it reproves us. It exposes all the ways that you are wrong and bad and false and unwholesome and dirty. And not only is the Bible show you what is right, good, true, beautiful, and so forth, and show you that you are wrong, false, unwholesome, dirty, and so forth. Thirdly, the word of God, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. The Bible is able to bring us back into alignment with what is right, good, true, wholesome, beautiful, etc. And then finally, the fourth thing, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It helps us after we have been reproved, after we've been corrected, it helps us to maintain righteousness, to walk in righteousness. It helps us to walk in righteousness. So we have the word of God given to us, inspired by God to the intent that you and I would be, verse 17 says, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given you his inspired word so that you would know what is right, that you would know what is true, what is good, what is wholesome, that you would see all the areas that you do not line up to God's word and that it would correct you and help you to maintain righteousness so that you would be complete and completely ready for all the good works, all the things that are pleasing to God. Two of my favorite illustrations to, to show how this all works, how the word of God is useful in this way. First is, is this. Um, if you've gone to Cross Connection Church for any length of time, you've seen me bring this before. This is a plumb bob. Very simple tool. One of the oldest tools in all of antiquity. We have proof and archaeological evidence showing that they used plumb bobs thousands of years ago, many thousands of years ago in places like Egypt and ancient Egypt. So the plumb bob, what does this do? Well, it uses simple gravity because this heavy weight on the bottom of this string to show us what is a, a straight line. And when you're building something like this building or any building, 
Uh, my dad worked in the construction industry for five decades. When you're building something, you need to make sure that that building that you are building is plumb, that it is straight up and down, or it will fall down. The Bible is useful for doctrine. It shows us the perfectly straight line. And when you see the perfectly straight line, then it's very easy to see where it's out of order. So the Bible is useful for doctrine. And that doctrine, that perfectly straight line, it shows us where we are out of alignment. It reproves us. It rebukes us. But this, this thing has no power to be able to bring that back into alignment. The Bible does. So the Bible is useful for setting the plumb line, the doctrine. It shows us, it reproves us and shows us where we are out of alignment. And then the Bible has the ability to correct us and bring us back into alignment and to help us maintain righteousness. So the Bible is like a plumb bob, but the Bible is also like the navigation system that you have on your phone or in your car, like a GPS, global positioning system. So the, the Bible is God positioning system. It, it shows you the right line on my car. It's a blue line. Shows me that blue line that you're supposed to maintain. If you want to get to where God wants you to get to, to glorification. If you want to get from where you are now to glorification, here's the perfectly blue, perfect line. And anytime you are out of alignment, it says, hey, recalculating here. Here's how you get back to the line. It shows you where you are in respect to the line. You're outside of the line. Brings us back to the line. Helps you to maintain the line so that you can get to where God wants you to be so that you are fully equipped for every good work. So Paul said in my favorite passage of scripture, Philippians chapter two, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And God has given us his spirit to enable us to do that. God is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure, but he wants you to work it out. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is by taking heed to God's word, because this is a tool for our transformation and our sanctification. And this is, exactly what the psalmist writes in the, the longest psalm in the scriptures. If you turn to about the middle of your Bible to the Psalms and you go to Psalm 119, which is almost close to the, the exact middle of your Bible, but Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the scriptures, we read this in Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So how can we walk in rightness? Well, we have to cleanse our ways by taking heed or observing God's word, because this is a tool for our sanctification. Paul in Romans chapter seven, I, I've mentioned this, I mentioned this today. I mentioned it in my previous messages. The good things that I want to do, I don't do. The bad things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. How can I make good things my practice? If I find myself walking in the flesh, not walking in the spirit, how can I make the good things that I desire to do my practice? Well, Psalm 119, look at verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do I, I know how to move forward in this walk that God has called me to, to walk forward in this spiritual walk? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So important point here. The word of God is the user manual for the abundant life. Let me say that again. The word of God is the user manual for the abundant life. Jesus came into the world to give you life and that more abundantly. How do you live out that abundant life? Well, God's word is like a user manual for the abundant life. God's word, it provides the proper answers to life's difficult questions. It provides the right solutions to life's biggest problems. If you want to see the effects of God's saving work being worked out in your life, God saved you, 
He's going to glorify you. If you want to see that salvation work worked out in your life to begin to manifest itself in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and so forth. If you want to see that worked out, then you need to begin to take heed to God's Word. You need to begin to make God's Word a part of your life because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, so that you would be completely equipped for every good work and walk in righteousness. If you are not seeing salvation worked out in your life, if you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it is because you are not using God's Word effectively in your life. If you do not use God's Word in your life effectively, you will not see this work of sanctification and cleansing worked out in your life. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that God wants to wash us by the washing of the water of his word. He wants to transform us so that when we are glorified, we stand before him as a glorious church with no spot or wrinkle or blemish. So God wants to do that work in you. Every time I talk with someone in a, a counseling situation or I'm interacting with someone here at the church after a service and they're sharing with me that their life is not where they want it to be, it's not as it ought to be, I ask them, almost as a first order of business sort of question, I ask them, how much time are you spending in God's Word on a regular basis? And it's kind of like if you go to the doctor, you're going to go see your doctor. And before you go see your doctor, his nurse or her nurse will bring you into the nursing station. They'll put that blood pressure cuff on your arm and they start to, they take your temperature, they weigh you, they ask you questions. One of the questions they, they ask you, at least they always ask me this, is, have you been working out regularly? And, and you know, you probably, and maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes I stretch the truth. And yes, I work out. Well, how often do you work out? Oh, four times a week. How long? 30 minutes in. Maybe I'm not always doing that. So sometimes we, um, we kind of fudge the truth on this. I find the same thing when I ask people who their, their life is not exactly where they want it to be in their walk with the Lord. And I say to them, have you been spending time in the Word? And they go, oh yeah, you know, I spend time in the Word. How much time do you spend? Oh, every single morning. But after they stop lying to me, they will, they will typically say, yeah, I've not been doing it as much as I, I should be doing, which normally means that they haven't been doing it at, at all. And my immediate counsel is always the same. It always begins with this very simple thing. Your spiritual health is proportionally related to your intake of God's Word. Let me say that again. Your spiritual health is proportionally related to your intake of God's Word. If you are not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it is very likely because you are not spending any time in God's Word or God's Word is not getting into you. And that may seem like a major oversimplification, but it's not. There needs to be a regular in, input, if you will, of God's Word into your mind, into your heart. So that's the, the theology. Remember at the very beginning of this message, I said I'm going to set the theological basis for the Word of God being a tool of sanctification. That this is the thing, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that renews our minds, starts in our minds, and changes our practice, that it begins to be seen in our practice. It is given by inspiration of God, God breathed. It's useful for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that you would walk in righteousness. So that's the theology. But we need to move from theology and make it a practical reality in your life. So I wanna to finish today with four practical ways for you to begin to make God's word a regular part of your life. Because if you wanna grow in Christ-likeness, if you wanna see transformation, sanctification in your life. If you want to see power over your flesh and the works of the flesh in your life, 
if you want to experience love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit, then you need to make the Word of God a regular part of your life. So four ways, I want to finish quickly, hopefully, because I'm kind of going longer than I planned today, four ways that you can make God's Word a regular part of your life and begin to see transformation. So the Bible needs to become uh, consistent in your life, a regularity in your life. It is essential. It is not enough to take in God's Word one day a week by watching me on Sunday morning or coming here to the church on a Sunday morning. We need God's Word more than one period of time on Sunday morning. So if you want to grow in your faith, your faith towards God and your faithfulness to God, then you must begin to make God's Word a regular part of your life. How do you do that? Four practical ways for you to read God's Word, study God's Word for your growth and your sanctification. So the first one to make God's Word a regular part of your life first is to read or listen. Some people say to me, well, I'm not a very good reader. That's fine. I'm not a very good reader as well. I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was in the fourth grade. I've had a hard time reading for a very long time. I've gotten better at it as I've done it over the years. But first thing, if you want to see God's Word have an effect in your life, you need to read or listen to some bit of God's Word prayerfully every day until God touches your heart by it. So, so here's the first one. You need to read God's Word prayerfully. We must learn to read God's Word prayerfully every single day. And when I say prayerfully, what do I mean by that? Well, here's very practical. Tomorrow morning, Monday, or whenever you're watching this, tomorrow morning, first thing that I want you to try to do, and maybe you should do this before you go to bed tonight. Before you go to bed, last thing you do before you fall asleep, pray, God, help me tomorrow to spend the first moments of my day in your word. I guarantee you, he's going to help you to do that. So prayerfully, pray before you go to sleep tonight, God, help me to spend the first moments of my day tomorrow morning in your word. Then when you wake up in the morning, the first thing I want you to do is to pray a very simple prayer. And again, it's found in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist prays this to God, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So before you open the Bible, in the following morning, you're going to pray the night before, God, help me to spend the first moments of my day tomorrow in your word. Then when you wake up, open the Bible to a specific passage. Start at a book. Start at the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Start at the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Start at the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Start in the Old Testament, book of Genesis, chapter 1, whatever it may be, and pray, God, open my eyes. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonders from your law. It is really that simple. And that simple prayer is, I believe, an effectual prayer that God will open your eyes that you may behold wonderful things from his word by his Holy Spirit. And then, here's what I want you to do. I'm not asking you to read five chapters, 10 chapters, 20 chapters. Begin reading. After you've prayed that very simple prayer, Begin reading until God, by His Spirit, causes something in His Word to stand out and speak to you. It, it may be that you read one paragraph. It may be that you read five verses. But you, you get to something. Something will stand out to you. God's going to speak something to your heart from His Word. Because God speaks primarily from His Word. And when you get to that passage, stop. 
And then that leads into the second practice. I told you I'm going to give you four ways, practical ways, that you can start making God's Word a regular part of your life that will benefit your life in Christ. So first thing is you're going to pray. You're going to read the Word of God prayerfully. Second thing is that you're going to read the Word of God. Don't let this scare you. You're going to read the Word of God meditatively. So you're going to read the Word of God meditatively. So first prayerfully, second meditatively. So we must learn to read God's Word prayerfully and meditatively. What does that mean? And I promise you this is not weird or hard. You're going to start tomorrow after you've prayed, God, help me to see wonderful things from your law. You're going to read from God's Word until something stands out to you. And when it does, when that something stands out to you from God's Word, instead of just passing over it and moving on to the next thing, I want you to stop at that verse or at that sentence or at that paragraph or what it is, I want you to take a, a piece of paper, maybe a three by five card, and I want you to write out that verse or what it is that seems to be sticking out to you in that verse, but write out that whole verse or that whole sentence or that whole paragraph even. Write it on a three by five card and put that card in your pocket. And then commit just a couple times, two or three times tomorrow, to stop and take five minutes and take that card and look at it. And, and read back through it and think carefully who is speaking in that passage. What is the situation or the circumstance of that verse? Who is being spoken to in that, that passage? What, what is the, the truth that is proclaimed in that passage? What is the promise that is revealed in that passage? What is the principle that that passage teaches? What is the question that that passage answers? Just spend some time thinking about that verse or that passage. Just think about it. Take five minutes. Just think about it. What is it about this verse that's standing out to me? Even pray. Ask God, God, what are you speaking to me in this patch? So think carefully, think repeatedly, think deeply about that passage. That's biblical meditation. You know, I know when we hear the word meditation today, we think of mindfulness, we think of emptying our mind, all that sort of stuff. Biblical meditation is taking God's word and putting it into your mind and putting it into your heart and thinking over it carefully and repeatedly and deeply so that God can speak to you from that. So the very first thing that we see that we're going to do, we're first going to read God's word prayerfully. Second, we're going to read God's word meditatively. Thirdly, once a week maybe, maybe twice a week, maybe as time goes by, you'll build up to three times a week. I want you to read God's word purposefully. So we must learn to read God's word prayerfully, meditatively, and purposefully. What is reading God's word with purpose? It is taking a chapter. Maybe you do this on, you know, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, every weekday. Just read through the scriptures until God speaks to you and then meditate upon whatever it is that he spoke to you from that passage through the rest of the day. But maybe on Saturday, take some time and read through a whole chapter with a purpose. So take a chapter or a section or a paragraph of the Bible and read it with a specific focus or purpose or question in mind. It, it can be something like this. You say, okay, on Saturday, I'm going to read Proverbs chapters one through five, and I'm going to ask this simple question. The entire time I'm reading, I'm going to ask the question, what does Proverbs chapter one through five say about wisdom? Because Proverbs 1 through 5 says a lot about wisdom. But you're going you're to go with a focus. 
what is this passage telling me about wisdom? And maybe write down on a piece of paper all the different things that you find about wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. While I was on vacation, as we were coming back from where we went out to Colorado, we were driving back, we stopped in Kingman, Arizona. We were staying at the Holiday Inn Express in Kingman, Arizona in the morning. My wife and the kids, they went down to get breakfast at the, the hotel, and I was putting all the stuff in the car, packing up the car to leave. And as I was walking back in the hotel to go back up to the room to get the rest of the stuff, I see this guy. He looked like he was probably, I don't know, mid-60s, and he was sitting there, and he had a Bible open. And I said to him, hey, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading the Bible. And I said, yeah, I know, but what, what are you reading in the Bible? And he said, I'm reading Proverbs chapter 14. I said, that's a really good passage of Scripture. And that passage, in fact, Proverbs chapter 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. A really good passage of scripture. And, and he said, yeah, I love Proverbs chapter 14. I said, well, Proverbs chapter 18 is one of my favorites. He said, I'm going to be reading through Proverbs chapter 18 today as well. So what was he doing? He's just going through the scriptures. He's spending time in the morning. It was pretty early. And the first thing he's doing is just reading through the Bible. I, I can't tell you, as a pastor, I don't even know who this guy was. I don't know. I didn't ask his name. I will probably never see this guy again this side of heaven. I, I have a feeling I'm going to see him in heaven one day. But as a pastor, there's hardly anything that makes you more happy than seeing a person in a public place starting their day off reading the Bible. So if you're going to read the Bible with purpose, take Proverbs chapter 1 through 5 and ask the question as you're reading, what does this say about wisdom? Or maybe you take a portion from the Psalms. You pick one or two Psalms that you're going to read and you say, what does this passage say about God the Father? What does it teach me about God the Father? Or you say, I'm going to read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I'm going to ask the question, what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God in this passage? What, what does that have to say about the kingdom of God? So when you're reading the Bible with purpose, which is our, our third way of reading, we're reading prayerfully, meditatively, and purposefully. When you're reading the Bible with purpose, you're simply limiting your reading of the scriptures to a specific purpose or question. You're saying, what does the book of Ephesians teach me about being in Christ? What does the gospel of John teach me about the way that Jesus interacted with religious people versus the way that he dealt with sinful people. So we're going to read the word of God prayerfully, meditatively, purposefully. Fourth and final way is that we want to read the word of God devotionally. We want to learn to read the word of God devotionally. So uh, if you're taking down notes, we'll put all these things together. We must learn to read God's word, God's word prayerfully, meditatively, purposefully, and devotionally. Now on this one, of reading the Word of God devotionally, I want to give you a simple four-step process. I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff, and you can just take from this or listen to this five times if you need to, but a four-step process for reading the Word of God devotionally using the acronym TIPS. So this is TIPS for Bible reading, T-I-P-S. I didn't come up with this, but a friend of mine did. So we wanted to use TIPS for Bible study, devotional Bible study. You don't have to do this every single day. You don't even have to use this as a way for you to study the Bible, but I found this to be really helpful. I hope that you would find some way of these four tools that I've given you so far to make God's Word a regular part of your life. So what are tips for Bible study? Well, first, you just choose a section of Scripture, a chapter, or maybe a small book of the Bible, a book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and you pray before you read it. God, open my eyes to see wonders from your word. And then you read through the passage and you look for truths in the passage that teaches you something about 
who God is or how God works. You're just looking for the truths in the passage. Maybe underline those truths or those principles in the passage and write them down. So the tips for reading the Bible is what are the truths? That's the T in tips. What are the truths in the passage? And then the I in tips is I examine myself in light of those truths. So the Bible says this. Am I living in this way? Here's the truth. Do I believe this truth? Am I doing this truth? Am I following this truth? So this is where I have doctrine, the truths, and then I am examining myself. I'm being rebuked by or corrected by the scriptures. So T, truths in the scripture. I, I examine myself by those truths. Then P, if I see that I'm not walking after these truths, as I examine myself in light of these truths, then I plan, that's the P, I plan to obey God uh, according to what he reveals in this passage. And the S, I obey God with the Spirit's help. So the truths in the passage, I examine myself, I plan to obey those truths, and I do so with the Holy Spirit's help. So those are the tips for devotional Bible study. You see, as we see, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It cleanses us from all the blemishes of sin. It sanctifies us by the truth of scripture. It equips us for a life of faith and faithfulness to God. It answers our deepest questions. It gives solutions to our biggest problems. It heals our souls. It gives peace to those who are anxious. One of my favorite passages of scripture that talks all about this, and maybe you can make this one of your places that you read through this week, is Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, 7, 11, the, the, the psalmist David says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by your word, your servant is warned, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It restores our soul, it rejoices our heart, it enlightens our eyes, it endures forever, it is righteous, it, it shows us how to walk. And if you want to begin to see God's word produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, this tool for your sanctification and transformation, you've got to begin to make it a part of your life prayerfully and meditatively and purposefully and devotionally. Take some time, find some time to read God's word or listen to God's word every single day. I want to leave you with this today. Years ago, someone gave me one of these little Gideon pocket New Testaments with Psalms and Proverbs. And I'm sure you guys have seen these before. And on the very opening second page, it says this, and I absolutely love this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. If you want to be a disciplined disciple, there is no way to do that without adding God's word to your life as a regular part, not just when you watch it on a Bible study like this, 
but privately as you read through it devotionally, prayerfully, meditatively, and purposefully. So Father God, I pray for those who are watching this message and whether they're believers or not, Lord, every single person that begins to make your word a part of their life, they will be changed and transformed. If they don't yet know you, they will come to know you. If they do know you, they will begin to know you better and to see you work out your will in their life. So God, would you work in us to will and to do your good pleasure as we are working out our own salvation by taking heed to your word. God, do a work in your church, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.